0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, uh, when I was younger, I'm wondering if this was true for you, or maybe at least you knew someone who was. Uh, I was a little bit afraid of the dark. So, like, when I was growing up, and I, I, I was little, I wanted the bathroom light. My bedroom was right next to our bathroom. I wanted the bathroom light on when I fell asleep. Was that true for you? Or maybe you knew someone or one of your kids, that was the, the case. So, just a little bit afraid of the dark. And, and the thing is, like, monsters under the bed or in the closet. But, you know, like, if you kind of picture being in that room, what is it you see? It's dark, but you see shadows, right? And what are those shadows? What, what, are, what are you looking at? And those are the kind of the scary things of that unknown, Right? Those shadows that that might be on the walls that that might move with, with light outside or wind blowing trees and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I, my kids, they, they grew up watching Daniel Tiger. If you've got kids that recently have come kind Daniel Tiger is um, an offshoot of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. It's an animated show that takes place in the land of make-believe. And so Daniel Tiger, one of the characters, is a little boy who, who's growing up, and it's just a great little preschool kid's show. Well, I remember one episode, Daniel was afraid to go to sleep because of the dark. And so they'd turn off the lights and then he'd suddenly look and see shadows. And he's like, what's that? And they'd turn the lights back on. He'd see it's his stuffed bear next to a plant, right? And so like, it's just that exploration of like, we're, we're, we're scared of the dark. We're afraid of those kinds of shadows sometimes because we can't see what they actually are. Those shadows, they, they, they might be like representing something that's kind of scary for us. But the reverse might be true as well. Maybe shadows of good things. Like, we see something, and it's like, oh, that looks good, but then we realize what it actually is. I, I share all this to get an idea on the table, this idea of shadows, where we, we see, like, certain things, but do we actually see them the way that they really are? So we're in this series in the book of Colossians. And, and last week, we really got to the heart of the letter, the kind of the, the main idea, the thesis statement Paul is trying to drive home. Just as we have received Christ, continue to live in him. We, we receive him by the gospel. We, we come to, to trust him, to know him, and, and operate like that way. And we were to, were to continue living in that same way. We, we don't receive him one way and then go back to the old ways or, or go back to some new way. We, we follow the same pattern. We, we, we live by the gospel. And that's what Paul's wanting to drive home. Like we, we continue to live in Christ the same way that we receive him. And we do all that because he's above all things. And then the bulk of chapter 1 is just building this beautiful picture of his, his supremacy and how he is above all things and in all things hold together in him. And that's the picture of Christ. But I want to uh, submit to you a claim. Uh, I want to contend with you that this idea is probably true sometimes we turn to shadows to shape our lives. Sometimes we turn to shadow things to shape our lives. When when Paul says, hey, you've received Christ, continue to live in him, that's not always true for us. And and Paul surfaced this idea just a little bit. He teased it last week. And when he talked about these philosophies, these competing ideas, it's like, hey, continue to live in Christ and don't go to these other things. We're going to call those shadows. And sometimes we turn to them. We shape our lives around them. We, we hold on to these things as a way to get at what we think they're going to provide. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to explore all that. He's going to open up what are these, these shadowy kinds of things that don't actually come through for us. So, I would like you to turn with me to the second chapter of Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the second half of this chapter, and and we'll finish out this chapter today. And so, what Paul's going to do, he's going to take the idea, he's going to explore in more depth what he means by these shadow kinds of things. So, we're going to be looking at at chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, All right, follow along with me if you would. Verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, and grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have any appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining Sensual indulgence. Okay. So what's Paul talking about here? So I want to remind you, this premise that we're working with, that sometimes we turn to shadows to shape our lives. What Paul is going to do is he's going to explore this concept, I think. What he's going to say is, like, we're turning to things that we shouldn't, that these shadows that aren't going to come through for us. So, what is he talking about? Like, what, what are these shadows that he's really getting after? Well, to understand that, I think we need to understand what he's referencing for the Colossians. So, I want to look at a few key verses and just kind of pick this apart along the way. So, back to verse 16. Let's look at a few things here. Verse 16. Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or talking about religious festivals or new moon celebrations or a Sabbath day. So what, what is Paul referencing here? Well, these, these ideas he's building on from Judaism. So when you say eat or drink, I think what he has in mind here are the kosher laws. Like you can eat some foods but not others. This was a, a defining mark for Judaism. There are other cultures that might like, you know, strain what kind of foods they would eat and not eat. But like Judaism was known for it. Similarly, they were known for the Sabbath. Now, lots of religions would practice different festivals. They'd do celebrations at different times. But the Sabbath day especially was a unique kind of thing. Nobody at that time would take a day off like the Sabbath day. Take a day off. Don't cultivate your ground. Don't practice your livelihood. Like, nobody was doing that. The Jews were set apart So when Paul's calling to attention, like whatever you eat or drink, or the Sabbath day, he's really bringing to mind Judaism, this practice of following God according to the law. And he's saying, like, don't let anyone judge you according to that. And so he's talking about Judaism primarily, but you'll notice there are some other things that are happening too. So verse 18, jump down there. He references this idea of false humility. What I think Paul is talking about here is this kind of asceticism, like where you would limit what you eat and and limit what you own, like to kind of take this simple life, but even go further as to like beat your body. Like you'd whip yourself and like all of this kind of asceticism. That was a practice that was, you know, happening for extreme versions of Judaism. It would happen in other religions as well, but this kind of ascetic approach, he's like, no, 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 this, this is not, this is not the way either. But then he talks about this worship of angels. Now, there there are some commentators who think there might have been a a branch of Judaism that was actually practicing it. Uh, But more likely, I think, it was just kind of a a thing that was happening in Colossae and other parts of the Roman world where they were worshiping other idols or, or other gods and even angels. And so when he says this, I think he's kind of bringing together what was likely happening in the city at the time. So primarily Judaism, but then these other religions as well. But then he kind of references one thing, is what they have seen. What Paul's talking about here is visions. So these people, they they would kind of pursue kind of divine encounters, and they would have visions or dreams. And, and so whether that was legitimate, probably sometimes, or illegitimate, probably sometimes, they would go around and say, Hey, I had a vision, and, and here, look look at me, and, and they puff themselves up. Right? So it's like, hey, you know, I'm I'm better than you, is almost the, the implication, right? That's what that kind of person would do. Paul, he actually uses this puffed up language in the book of 1 Corinthians. There's a few different places that he uses that, that phrase, but I want to look at one, 1 Corinthians 8, verses 1 and 2. He, he specifically uses it. Now, about food, sacrifice to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. This is something the Corinthians are saying. We all possess knowledge. But here's Paul's retort. But knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you think you're better than somebody else. It puffs yourself up. Oh, I, I know the right thing. Therefore, I'm enlightened or I'm better than you. Knowledge puffs up. But love, it builds up. Love is concerned for other people. Love builds other people up. And so verse 2, those who think they know something, they don't yet know what they should know, what they ought to know. They think they know something. They think they've got a good status, like, hey, I know the right things. But what Paul is saying is they miss it. So we can have all the right knowledge. We can feel like, oh, I'm better than, but really? You're missing it. And it's love. So why does Paul say all this? It's it's to say, like, sometimes we can trust things to give us kind of a a better version of, of life and faith than other things. And those who have knowledge, who have visions, he's saying, they're puffed up. So Paul is referencing this to say, like, this is leading people down the wrong road. But then finally, I want to look at verse 21, kind of as a summary here of what Paul's talking about. He's naming these rules. What are they? Don't handle, don't taste, do not touch. This is the spirit that Paul wants to highlight. Judaism does this. You can spiral into this rule-keeping, don't do this, don't do that, and, and then judge other people when they don't follow the rules. You can be puffed up when you're following the rules and, and, and judge other people or put them down because they don't. That's true for other religions, other, other things as well, but Paul is really going after this. This, he wants to say, is not the way. This is not the way. This is not how it's supposed to go. And so, like, what, what is this like, all leading to? Or what is Paul wanting us to see? So let's look at verse 17. Here we get our image. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. These rules, this, this approach, this, this kind of uh, a, a attack at life, that is a shadow. It will not come through for you this is a shadow version of the way things are actually supposed to be we're looking for something more all of this this is a shadow now why is it a shadow or how does he kind of like flesh that out well verse 23 he kind of connects the dots of what this shadow thing represents such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom They appear to be right. Oh, do this and don't do this. Yeah, that that sounds right. It looks good. It looks like that's the way to do life. But it's only appearance. It's only a shadow. Why? Because, the way he ends the verse, it lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And, And he's talking about our desire, Like, we as human beings, we desire certain things, and we want to control life, and and he's saying, all of the stuff that we go after, it can't do anything about that. Our deep down desires, the way we are as human beings, all of these rules, all of these other approaches, they're shadows, and they can't actually do the thing we want them to do. They are just shadows. Why is that? Why do they look good, seemingly on the outside, like, yeah, but fall short? Verse 22. These rules, which have to do with things that are all all destined to perish with use, are based on human commands and teachings. They're merely human. There are efforts to try to get to divine kinds of things. You can't use human things to get to divine kinds of things. It's just based on our own efforts. It's based on our wisdom, our teaching, like our best kind of creativity. It falls short because it's human. These rules, these different approaches, these shadows do not actually help us get to eternal kinds of things. They don't help us get to the presence of God. They don't help us get into the kingdom. This is is a shadow. This is what shadows do. They fall short. So, that really just now leads us to this question. What? What are we talking about here? What are these shadows? For Paul, it very much was these other religions. Judaism in particular. And that might be true for us. We might feel like, okay, well, one religion is better than another, so, like, I'm going to choose that. We might be drawn to a Judaism or Islam, maybe a Buddhism. Like, it might be another religion. I want to suggest that's not as much the temptation for most of us. Maybe, maybe it is for you. Okay, great and good to name that. Let's, let's, let's get a hold of that. But for most of us, like, I don't know that that first part really is, like, the temptation. Is that really the draw? So maybe it's the second one, these other worldviews, uh, And if you want to kind of think of what is a worldview, it's an ism of some kind, naturalism, secular humanism. Maybe you've heard those terms before. Really, it's like the ideas that are permeating our culture today. Like it's, it's life consists of what you feel. You want to feel good. You decide how life should go. Self-determination. Or, or this one that's kind of been around for a while. I don't know if it's still really taken hold, but therapeutic, moralistic deism. It's like, God's here to help me do, do a good life or live a good life and be happy. Are these the ideas that are kind of like, yeah, that's, that's what I sh- want to do. Like, that's going to give me the thing that I'm looking for. Is it that? Maybe, and maybe in subtle ways, I want to condemn maybe not even quite that for many of us in this room. Uh, It might be. There might be certain aspects that kind of pull at us, like I want to feel good, and so that drives a lot of my choices. I wonder if it's just this last one. It's any control that we leverage to get a certain kind of outcome. It's anything that we do to try to produce the kind of results that we're looking for. I wonder if it's really control. Because Paul, he, he starts talking about rules. And so I was thinking about that, like, okay, you know, I understand some of it. But like, let me just refresh. And I, I looked up the definition of rules. And so some of them were like a set of regulations governing conduct. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, or like, think of a king, like control or, or dominion over a, a, a people or an area. So like king has a rule, they rule over a land, Sure. There's this one that got me the most though, and it was this. A statement telling people what they should do to achieve success or benefit. It's a statement, an idea that says if you do this, then you're going to have success or get this benefit. And I was like, "Ooh, there it is." It's an idea that we say, "If I pull this lever, if I do this thing, then I'm going to get what I'm looking for. I'm going to have success." I'm gonna have this benefit that I'm searching for. That, mmm, I wonder if that is the temptation for our shadows. So if we go back to the ancient world, like these people, they would practice their religions. Why would they do it? Well, they would have an idol, they'd have a god, they'd worship. What would they do? They'd bring a sacrifice. Here, God, I'm giving this thing to you. You, whoever this God is, I'm giving this thing to you so that you will give me rain. Or, or, or bless my family, or, or, or give me victory over my enemies. Like They would bring a sacrifice to get something. And that's the formula. If you do it right, if you do this thing, then you're going to get. And they would be able to control the situation by using the formula. I wonder if we still do the same kind of thing. If, if I have a good job... If I make enough money then, then I'll have the good kind of life that I need to have. So I work really hard, I climb the corporate ladder, I get to this kind of pay scale, and now, ah, now, I've arrived. Do we do that kind of thing? Uh, Many of us, we've grew up in church, and and I'm wondering if it even kind of flavors our faith. Uh, Let's talk a minute about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. This is reading your Bible, it's praying, it's coming to church, it's, practicing Sabbath or, or giving, you know, those kinds of things. Why do we do all of that? I wonder if sometimes we can slip into the mindset, if, if I do these things, then God will be happy with me or he will bless me. If I go to church, then I'm doing a good thing and God will be pleased. Do we sometimes even take these really good things but turn them Turn them into a lever that we pull? Some measure of control that we assert over God? I wonder if, if sometimes we are operating with these shadows. See, what, what Paul wants to come in and say is that, that these practices, the, the things that we might turn to, these are, they might be good things, but they're only shadows. They aren't the thing itself. These practices, this coming to church, reading our Bibles, these are good things to do, but they are not the thing. They are the means to the thing. And if we allow the practices to actually replace Jesus, our relationship with him, then they're wrong. They're even dangerous. So for me, like, I I kind of experienced this. When I was growing up, I've shared this before, but like I, I got, you know, into the disciplines and I, I got into a good rhythm and practice and I, you know, did the whole read the Bible in a year kind of thing. It got so easy for me to check those boxes. It's like I read my five chapters today so that I can finish by the end of the year. And I did all of that for God. I was doing the practice, the thing that I was supposed to do for him. I wasn't do, doing it with him. See, that's the danger. We can turn to the shadow version of something as a way to control, to bring about whatever kind of ends we're looking for. So maybe just to like tie this all together a little bit, what is the shadow thing that we keep talking about? I think it's whatever promises meaning Lasting, like, eternal kinds of security or a good life. Anything that we look to to give us that. And it's a shadow. It's not the real thing. This is what Paul wants us to go after. He wants us to become aware of our shadows. Like, what is it that we turn to to find significance, to find fulfillment, to find meaning it's probably a shadow. So what's your shadow? What's the thing that you lean into? The thing that you go to to say, I'm going to order my life around this because it's going to give me what I'm looking for. What's the shadow for you? Is it another religion, maybe? Maybe it's a worldview, an ism, or or an idea that's kind of permeated in our culture. I want to bet it's more likely good things. It's your job, your family, good things. That we are looking to leverage, to control, to bring about the life that we're looking for. Uh, Is this something that we're just like pursuing to get the kind of life we, we long for? What Paul wants to say is that the Lord, he has something better. He has something better. He doesn't have shadows. He has something better. Take a look at verse 17 again. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Christ is the real thing. This shadow that we're, we're chasing is representing something. That something is found in Christ. He is the real thing. He's not the shadow. And so what, what I think Paul is wanting us to see is that Christ, he's, he's the fulfillment. So go back to Judaism. All of these rules, all of these laws, all these symbols were pointing to something. They were pointing to Christ. It's like you want to have a relationship with the Lord. You want to be his people. You want to live in his kingdom. Here's what it looks like. But they all pointed to Christ, to Jesus, who would show up and be the fulfillment. Christ is the reality. He's the thing. I'm sure you're going to remember this, but Socrates, the famous philosopher, I know you all studied philosophy in college or something like that, and you, of course, know what analogy I'm going to share next. um, So Socrates, he gave us this analogy of, of the men in the cave. And so what this story is, or what this image is, was there were some men who were prisoners in a cave, and they were chained to a wall. And all they could see was just this blank surface of the cave, a blank wall face. And there was a fire behind them that they couldn't see, but it was casting light into the room. And then anytime something would pass in front of the, the light, in front of the fire, a shadow would be cast in front of them. So you might see an animal or a person walk by. And, and so if these guys, they've been in this for most of their life, and they start to give it names. It's like, oh, well, that's that thing. We've seen that before. So these, these, these shadows, they have names. They, they have associations. And, and so they're, they're kind of living their life this way, in prison. Well, one day one of them is released. He gets set free, and so he walks out of the cave. And so that shadow of a fox that walked in front of the fire, he saw the actual fox. Imagine that, what that would have been like for him. He's living his life in prison and sees these shadows and has a sketch of something, but then he sees the real thing. Now, Socrates had a different kind of point than I want to make here, but the analogy is helpful. It's like shadow versions of things. It looks like it's something meaningful. But until you see the real thing, oh man. This is what shadows are. They are just that, shadows. They are not the real thing. They are just an outline of something. They have the appearance of wisdom. But they are not actually wisdom. So how does this relate? Like how does us seeing Christ as the fulfillment help us right now? What's well, what Christ did. So verse 20, here's what Paul says: "Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world." when Jesus showed up, he took our place, and he's like, "I'm going to die for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And when we trust Him, we become aligned to Him. So in a way, we die with Him. Well, what did we die to? These elemental spiritual forces. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about this a little bit, just to refresh your memory. Like, what Paul has in mind here are these kind of big concepts, like death. Death is one of these. The ancient people would have viewed these as gods, like capturing these realities as gods. And so, what Paul is saying is, like, you've died to that. You've died to death. It no longer binds you, you're no longer subject to it. You are free. What he's saying is, in Christ, we've been put to death. All of those things now have no power over us. So why do you go back? Why do you live according to their rules? Like Paul's saying, you're set free. You don't have to. And that's what Paul wants to drive at. It's like, we are no longer bound to these things. The next thing we need to see is in verse 19. So if we're we're set free from these things... What are we aligned to? Well, verse 19. Talking about the people who, who don't follow us. They've lost their connection with the head. So if you picture a body, Paul's using this image, a body that's connected to the head. It's a whole person. But those who, who follow these rules, it's like they're disconnecting from their head. Like, that's useless. Like, you're, you're dead. Like, that kind of thing. What Paul's trying to say is we need to be connected to the head. We need to be connected to Jesus. And when that happens, our body can grow. We can grow because God's causing us to grow. So when we're connected in relationship, that, that is where we can find life, where we can find the things that we're looking for, where we can grow into the fruit or the plant that God is causing us to be. So in Preaching Team, we were talking about this text. And uh, Kirk bodie he's preached here before. If you've been around, you probably have seen him at some point. Long-time member. He was sharing, like, as he was reflecting on this idea, um, something that we just kind of found amusing, but it's helpful. So in COVID, uh, when everything kind of shut down, um, that, ha- that included, like, games, like baseball games and all that kind of stuff. So the baseball season was happening, but there was nobody in the stands. So do you remember what they did? They got, like, images of people... As cardboard cutouts and stuck them in the stands. You remember that? Well, Kirk and Barb, they have tickets with the Cardinals. Barb had a cutout of her in right field, like for these games. So like it was just fascinating. And and, you know, it's like you if you pan the TV or whatever, you could probably see a picture of Barb right there in the stands. So that, that was true. Well, the Cardinals, when the season was over, they sent the Bodies Barb's cutout. So they have a cutout of Barb at home which is so fascinating. So we joked around, like, Kirk's like, well, it's kind of like this. If I'm not connected to my wife and I want to take the cardboard cutout Barb out on a date, like, that's useless, right? Like, you could picture that, right? Like, Kirk, like, no way, that wouldn't be, Barb is awesome, you want to go with her. Like, the image, I think, helps us. Why would we go back to the cutout version, the cardboard version of Jesus? We want to be with him, the real person, the real thing. If we follow these rules, if we chase after these shadows, it's like being with the cardboard cutout. We're not with the real person. So, I think what Paul is trying to drive home is this. Is that we are to be connected to Jesus. And everything should be ordered around him. Following these rules, like chasing after these shadows, means ordering our lives around things that will not come through. We need to be in relationship with Christ. Everything in life should flow from him. How we go about our faith, how we go about life, how we make decisions should flow from our relationship with Jesus. So, I want to tie all this together. Here's the big idea that I want you to walk away with today. Don't settle for shadow things. Don't settle for shadows. Trust the real thing. And just to be clear, it's Jesus. Right? Like, we, we want to be with him. Don't settle for shadows. We want to be with the real thing. So, how do we, like, get at this? Like, what is it that we're to do or, or how do we practice this? So, I got two thoughts for you. The first one, I just want to ask you a question. Where are you ordering your life around shadows? If you were to take a a moment and just evaluate your your life, your everyday journey, your, your decisions, your schedule, like what would you see? How would you say you're ordering your life? Is it around Christ or is it around something else? What gets priority? What gets your time, your attention? What gets the most of your energy? Like when you look at it, like where where is your where is your focus going? Now, some things in life, like your job, if you got a full time job, you got to be there, you know, forty hours or whatever. Like some things do take up more time, but does your job follow you home? Like when you get home, have you have you put the job to rest, or is it still kind of active in your mind? You follow up on email phone calls? Or maybe you're, you're kind of the opposite. Like, I want nothing to do with my job, and, and I'm just thinking about when I get to get home. What gets your time? What gets your attention? A- a being a parent, like, you got to take care of your family. You got to take, ki- take care of your kids. Like, that's true. But are you able to let that go? Or, or is it always constantly on your mind? I mean, we've got to do good things, but are they ordering our lives? Maybe here's a a way to get at that, a question you could ask yourself. If some aspect of your life were gone, how would you feel about that? Suddenly, if it were just taken away, your job, your family, a hobby, like if it were suddenly taken away, how would you feel about it? What would that do to you? Could you live without it? If not, you might be ordering your life around it. And just take a moment and think through that. Like what might be your shadow? What might be dictating your, your your life to you? Shaping your choices, shaping how you spend your time. What might be your shadow? Number one. Number two, clearly, we want to order our lives around Jesus. Whatever the shadow is, if you can identify that, that's great. But we want to be moving towards ordering our lives around Jesus. And so what that means is we want to start now viewing everything in life through his lens. Through following him, allowing him to dictate the terms of of life. But I want to nuance this just a little bit. Because I, I don't want it to just be like, okay, I got to go do churchy things all the time. We already talked a little bit about that. I want to come back to it. But rather, we need to see this as ordering our life around the relationship that we have with him. He's a person. We want to be sharing life with him. Just like cardboard cutout Barb, like Kirk wouldn't want to live life with that. Like He wants to live life with Barb, his wife. That's what we want to be doing too. We don't want to settle for the cardboard cutout. We want the real person. And so we want to be pursuing that. So come back to the practices. Why do you do what you do? Do you see what you being here in church on a Sunday morning? Do you see reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, doing these good things that we're to do? Hear me say that. Are we doing them for him? Are we doing them with him? The practices, they are not the ends. They're not the thing that we're to do. They are the means him so when you read the bible do you see him sitting next to you do you picture in your mind like he's at the he's at the table with you in the chair next to you and he's reading right alongside you this is where you're getting to know him we don't read the bible just to learn about him we read the bible to get to know him is that your posture Is that the way that you're ordering your life? Is it your relationship with Christ? Or is it doing a set of good things? Is it doing something because you're supposed to? That was the shift for me. I mean, I I read this thing faithfully. But I did it because I was supposed to. And I didn't do it with him. I did it for him. We need to do this in relationship with Jesus. So, look at your life. Evaluate. Are you making decisions? Are you spending time, focus, and energy on things that are building your relationship with him? Are you just doing good things for him? Or are you not doing things with him at all? That's the question that Paul wants us to wrestle with. Are we chasing shadows trying to find our hope, our value, our meaning, our significance, and these things that say they'll try to come through for us, but ultimately won't because it's only found in Christ. It's only found in Jesus, what he has done. Are we ordering our lives around that? So don't settle for shadow things. Don't settle for shadows. Trust the real thing. Trust Jesus because there, there you will find life. There you find the things that you're looking for. There is hope. It's with him. Are we ordering our lives around that? That's what he's calling us to. It's none of these shadows, these things that won't come through. It's in Christ. So don't settle for shadows. Trust the real thing. Would you pray with me?